Well, we all need power. And we live in a culture that is really turned on to power. There are a lot of very powerful people and powerful organizations in our nation. And that's why lack of power can be kind of painful. It makes me feel like, well, I don't have power. And if I don't have power, I must not be much of a person. See, that's partly why to empower somebody has become a huge buzzword in education, in the marketplace of business, or in training and in ads. We will empower you. Come to Empowerment Conference. That's a big buzzword today. But it's often a sneaky way to get somebody to do what I want them to do. Hey, dear, let me empower you to make the breakfast I want. <laughs> that won't turn out good, okay? Power is a good thing. But it has a way of doing stuff to us that might not be good. There's a professor at Cal Berkeley. His name is Dasher Keltner. He studies the impact of power on human character. He says that power can actually be hazardous to your moral health. And the strangest things happen when people get just a little bit of power. In one study, he put subjects in groups of three people and randomly just appointed one person to be the leader of that group. Then he would bring out four cookies for those three people. Do you want to guess who almost always assumes that they are entitled to that last cookie? Whoever has been appointed the leader of that three-person group. Apparently, having power means getting to get the extra cookie, the misuse of power. Well, we all want power. We all get some power, but we can all misuse it. And a misuse of power is, I will use power to get my own way. I think power means getting what I want. So we're seeing now the abuse of power in high definition, and we have all year in Technicolor, in government, in business, in finance, and even in the church. There are articles about it all the time. At the core of the misuse of power is that I think power is about me getting what I want and my will to be done. So power has this tendency to erode our humanity, and Professor Keltner actually has a phrase for it. He calls it the power paradox. The power paradox is that it takes certain skills, certain gifts, certain abilities with people in order to acquire power. But when you get power, it tends to erode the very gifts it took to get to power. People who receive power suffer from an empathy deficit. They just lose it, you know. They can't they can't be sensitive to other people or their needs. If you want to gag, turn on Netflix and watch that series called Bling. It's about billionaire daughters and sons and wives in L.A. and Hollywood. You talk about selfish, entitlement, arrogant, self-seeking. You want to, I want to grab one of them and slap them and say, who raised you, you know? They never see the daddy who made it all. You just see them. I, I, I'm just saying there's nothing wrong. I'd like to have a billion dollars. I could do a lot of good with it. But my point is, you want to watch what power does to corrupt people? You just watch 15 minutes of it. And I had to cut it off because I was getting mad. <laughs> not, not, not at wealth. I want you to prosper. But at the misuse of it and, and uh, that, that arrogant self-seeking. Turn it on and see if I'm lying to you, you know. And so these people become more insensitive. They become more impulsive. See, other people are constantly being nice and sucking up to them. So they actually lose their ability to read other people accurately. 
Keltner writes this, quote, My own research has found out that people with great power tend to behave like patients who have damaged their brain's orbital front lobe. Wow. There was an article written that stirred up a lot of conversation. It was called, Power Causes Brain Damage. You can pass that along to your boss if you want. Power is not just a title or a position. It's a force. It's a spiritual force. And if you know much about the Bible, the Bible writers will talk about powers and principalities. Obtaining power tends to do something to your state of mind. Over time, it can make you treat people differently with patronization, arrogance, entitlement, selfish ambition, self-seeking. It's all about me. That's a caution, see? There are tons of studies about, about it. I'll tell you one that's been replicated a number of times about how owning a powerful and expensive car affects the way we drive. Yeah, you'd be very careful leaving this parking lot today. All right, listen. You would think somebody who has a very expensive, powerful car might be more likely to express their gratitude by kindness to pedestrians. Not so much. It turns out that drivers of less expensive cars consistently give the right away to pedestrians at a crosswalk. Drivers of powerful, expensive cars ignored pedestrians and just blew off the law 50% of the time. The worst two were BMW drivers and Mercedes drivers. The third worst, interestingly enough, were Prius drivers who apparently felt so good about saving the environment they could not drive and pat themselves on the back at the same time. This is research. So we're in a series called Killing It because we live in a society in a part of the world, America, where you have to be killing it. You got to be crushing it at your job, financially, with your achievements, how you look. And all of that puts a pressure on people that's just killing us. So Paul wrote this letter to Corinth. And Corinth was a city, if you've been in our series, all about killing it. They were very much about status and power. People went to Corinth because they wanted to make money. Corinth sat in a little spot geographically that was at the crossroads of trade and commerce, which in the Roman Empire was exploding. So you could make a lot of money in Corinth. It had been torn down previously and now rebuilt not long before the Apostle Paul got there. So it had a startup culture and it became associated with a tremendous pursuit of wealth and status. So much so, for 2,000 years in the 80s, a luxury car in the United States promised you could have the interior of that car upholstered luxuriously, not just in leather, not just in rich leather, but in rich Corinthian leather. Watch the video. Pride, very cornerstone of a new automobile. Cordoba, the new small Chrysler. Here is the warmth of thickly cushioned contour seats, available even in fine Corinthian leather. So very luxurious, yet surprisingly affordable. Cordoba is engineered with great pride via Chrysler. Well, Ricardo Montavon, he's gone and, and Plymouth is gone. So you could get rich. That's the only, only commercial we could find to show you where it was said one time. 
Now, what's funny is, let me ask you this. What is Corinthian leather? What do you have to do to leather to make it Corinthian leather? Does it come for Corinthian cows? So I read up on it, and it turns out there is no such thing as Corinthian leather. Just smart marketing guys came up with a way to make leather sound really expensive and luxurious so you and I would want to buy it. And they came up with the phrase, rich Corinthian leather. Boy, I wish I had his accent. Yeah, I'd probably be running a cartel somewhere, but, that, but I still love his accent. I, I love that guy. Remember he was on Paradise Island where the plane, the plane, wear that white suit. Yeah, I like that. All right. Corinthian leather. And people went for it. Well, that was Corinth. Rich Corinthian leather. You got the picture? You're going to make it when you go to, you're going to Corinth. And if you are, you better have power, baby. You better have lots and lots of power. Then power kind of does brain damage. All this now is the backdrop to this fascinating way Paul describes his coming to the people in the church in Corinth. And he summarizes it like this. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. Huh? Who in the world does that? In Corinth? You're going to walk in like that? So Paul emphasizes he came with fear, but not just fear, great fear. And not just great fear, but weakness. Great fear and not just weakness, but great fear, weakness, and trembling. Sheesh, who trembles? You go to a job interview, experts say, you better project strength. You have to know what your strengths are. You have to have assurance and confidence and calmness. You have to watch your body language. Don't fidget at a job interview, and especially don't tremble. Trembling at a job interview is not a good way to get a good position. Right? Heck yeah. No speaker came to Corinth in weakness and great fear and trembling, but Paul did. And we talked last week about how Paul said he had this thing called a thorn in the flesh that, because he was prone to conceit. I wonder if you have that affliction. I, I don't know. But he was. So it was given to him. And if you watch Bling, you'll see it really manifested. I don't know why I'm promoting their show. I hated it. So I'm giving them good PR here. And I'm not getting any royalties for this, all right? And nobody knows exactly what that thorn was. Some people think, well, maybe it was anxiety. Maybe it was his eyesight. Maybe he suffered from panic attacks and was physically trembling. Some people thought it may have suffered from a form of malaria, very common in the ancient world that would have robbed him of his physical vigor and energy so that physically he would tremble with weakness. We don't know. Whatever else he was, Paul was a brilliant guy, one of the most influential minds in the history of the human race well-educated at the feet of Gamaliel in the school of Hillel, one of the great rabbis of Israel, which had this tremendous intellectual tradition. Paul was a world traveler. Paul was a Roman citizen. This guy had it. No wonder he had conceit. I mean, he could do anything. Why in the world would he go to Corinth in weakness with great fear and trembling? And then when he's writing to them, these people who were crazy for power and status and rich Corinthian leather, why would he remind them, when I came to you, I came in weakness with great fear and trembling. I didn't come to you in a Corona or whatever, not Corona, Corolla, whatever it was, the car. I don't even know what the car was. Uh, Carnova in rich Corinthian leather. Well, the Corona sounds better, okay. He's bringing another kind of power to him. 
He's convinced that he's discovered that on that road to Damascus, he got blindsided with a kind of power now available for anybody, the lowly, the needy, the least, the lost, and the last. When he comes to Corinth, the church is made up of people just like that. And in this power status-centered Corinth, he's showing them you can have a kind of a power, not like that power, but it's available for you. And we saw last week what Paul said to them. He said, remember who you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standard. Not many of you were influential or intellectuals. Not many of you were well-born. And I came to you in weakness and great fear and trembling. So that now lowly people, uneducated people, slave people could look at Paul and think, well, shoot, if God could use him, maybe God could use me. Maybe I'm not a nobody after all. Maybe my life makes a difference in something. Maybe this message of the cross and turning everything upside down like blessed are the meek and blessed are those who mourn and blessed are the poor in spirit. Paul made a discovery in the realm of the Holy Spirit. He found a kind of power beyond human power that is, in, that is totally compatible with our weakness, our limitations, mine and yours. He highlights and even uh, revels in his own weakness, and he does all this at a time other people might see this and understand this power is available to me and you, and it won't puff you up, it won't make you proud, it won't make you arrogant. So he says, I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise, persuasive words, but a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith wouldn't rest on human wisdom. I got to get rich. I've got to be secure. I have to get status. But it would rest on God's power. That's the source of power. So you were made to be empowered by God's Spirit, believer, and not your own adequacy. Paul is introducing here the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, for the first time in his letter to the church at Corinth. What almost nobody knows about human beings, because we have our certain kinds of power, we all do, is that none of us were made to run on our own power, our own intelligence, our own strength, because God said in Zechariah 4, verse 6, long ago, it's not by might, human might, it's not by power, human power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. So we've got to depend on a different power to do what God asked us to do or we're just wasting time. You won't be able to pull it off. After Jesus had been crucified, resurrected from the dead, he said to the followers, don't do anything. Don't go anywhere. Wait till you receive the spirit. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. So there's this connection between power and spirit. Spirit is an important word. It gets used a lot. You might hear somebody say like, I'm spiritual but not religious. People talk about spirituality quite a lot, but we're not always clear what that means. See, if you ask somebody what exactly is spirit, my experience is people get a little fuzzy and vague but it's too important a subject not to be clear about it. If some, something's important, I want to know what it means. If somebody were to ask you, what is spirit, what would you might say to them? It's such an important word. There are lots of words that matter to us every day that we're really clear about their definition. But often, people have never actually thought, what does this mean? What's it all about? Spirit at its core is power of a certain type. 
Spirit is power or energy, the ability to get things done you couldn't do normally, which is something we prize enormously. Spirit is energy or power, but it's personal power. Spirit is personal power. It's not mechanical. It's not like electricity. Those are impersonal forms of power. Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is personal power, but it's real. And that's partly uh, why if somebody has a lot of energy or a strong will, parents will talk about their child as a very spirited kid this is, or a very spirited person, right? And we want to be around, at least I do. I want to be around spirited people. That's not religious people, by the way. Now, Jesus says about God, God's spirit. That means something. This is a claim that God is unlimited personal energy or power, enough to speak the universe into reality. He's the foundation of reality. That's why in the Bible, the spirit of God very often is accompanied by images in the Old Testament of a fire, that's energy, or wind, that's energy, or an earthquake, that's energy or force. This is God. This is the spirit of God. The realm of the spirit is real, and that's part of why the natural response of human beings when we see the world around us is to understand there is a spirit God who created all of this. The writer of Hebrews chapter 11 says, by faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command. Verse 13, I mean, verse three. So God just spoke. God willed it into being. God has unlimited personal power. So creating the universe, no problem for God. Sustaining the universe, no problem for God. Doesn't keep him up at night. So that what is seen, mountains, galaxies, the sunset, the solar system, was not made out of what's visible, but was made by God, who is spirit. Now by faith, I understand that. So that's really important too. Faith is not the opposite of reason. Faith doesn't mean you believe something for no reason or no evidence at all. In fact, uh, it says in the psalmist, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament reveals his handiwork. When you look at it, you have to say, dear God, wow. We're, we're incredible creations for you atheists. You remember when anybody seen Mahomes uh, take a hit, go down and lose consciousness last week? We don't have any sports fans in here? Okay, yeah, okay. All right. God, God's depressed. We need more fans here. Come. All right. He didn't have a concussion. He, when he was tackled, it was a chokehold. You're tackling somebody. I mean, it's not meant to be hurtful, but you, you want to take the dude down. Um, we're adversaries on the field. We're friends and brothers off the field. That's okay. You know, why can't, why can't Democrats and Republicans, why can't people with different races and culture, why can't we understand that? On some issue, we might be adversarial, not evil, but we're brothers. We're friends. Okay. So I, I, my son-in-law is uh, Adam Brueggemann, and he's a surgeon. And he was, last night he was telling me at dinner, he says, he showed me a slow motion of the video. He said, no, he didn't get a concussion. The tackler had him around the neck and cut choked on the, um, that uh, artery, your, your clutter artery, and he says, instantly, the brain shuts down. Now, th this is what I didn't know, okay? Why do you instantly lose consciousness? Because the heart, which pumps blood, immediately reacts and wants to get blood where it's been cut off, so it causes you to pass out, so you fall down, 
leveling the ability for blood to flow. I thought, dang, Lord, that's cool. That's really cool. I imagine Mahomes is saying that's cool too. So he'll be playing today. All right, didn't have a concussion. Faith is reliance on something. To, to have faith is to trust. When, uh, when Bruce Gunkel, my brother-in-law, married to my sister, we went to South Africa, oh, I don't know, 30 years ago or more. We went to the national park where all the animals are. And I remember Bruce was walking around. We looked at zebras and we looked at giraffes and we looked at hippopotamus. We looked at the weirdest creatures, all different. And he said, wonder why God made all these weird animals. To show his handiwork, Bruce. To show his creative ability. And it's all in technicolor. Aren't you glad it's in black and white? God loves diversity, and he's showing his creative power. So faith is the primary way your mind contacts reality. I trust that if I flip the switch on, the light will come on. There's light. I trust that when I put the key in my ignition, it's going to start, and it does. We receive power from the Spirit of God by faith, and you and I are spiritual beings. You're a spiritual being even if you're not saved. You have a body, a soul, and a spirit. Yes, you do, all right? So there is an unseen, invisible side to you, your thoughts, your intentions. You can't see those and your desires. And that's the most important part of what makes you. You can't help being spiritual. So spiritual is not something that some people are and some people are not. There's this unseen dimension to you, primarily your will, and there's a power of your spirit associated with it. What the Holy Spirit wants to do is come in and control your spirit, direct your spirit so it doesn't misuse itself in the world and towards others, all right? So he wants to interact with human beings in a way that allows us to use that power to serve God and others. That's the right use of power. The wrong use or the misuse of power is when I just use my power to get my way. So the right use is the surrendered service to God and others. God, give me power so I can be who you want me to be and do what you have called me to do. And God will do that. I mean, I ask the Holy Spirit every day, but especially on the weekend, Lord, help me communicate truth. Lord, help me. Holy Spirit, anoint me with fresh oil. Fill me. Speak through my mind thoughts I don't even have yet so somebody can capture some truth. I, I cannot just do it on a teaching ability. That's not anointing. That's just a talent, right? Okay. Some of you look like a raccoon on I-35. <laughs> what am I doing here? <laughs> okay. when, when do you need power in your life? See, well, ask God, and God actually will interact with you. Try it this week and see if God won't do it, sometimes in unexpected ways. Let me show you something. There's a picture I'm going to put up here of a long time ago on this twin-engine airplane, and I have Cindy in the back of it, and Chrissy, was, I don't think, was born yet, was she? You, she was in the hangar. Okay, hadn't been born yet. And I, I, I didn't believe in, in certain gifts of the Spirit. I had been taught that, and I was wrong. Uh, but didn't seem to intimidate God at all. But I love God, and I prayed, and I did what I do every time before takeoff, whether it's a small plane, big plane, or a jet. I would say, Lord, thank you for a safe flight tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, how religious was that? And instantly, as that we were at midnight, uh, coming out of South Carolina, going to Savannah, Georgia, and immediately across my eyes went the word rudder lock. Out of the blue. 
I didn't ask for it. I didn't believe in a word of knowledge. And the Holy Spirit saved my life by interrupting my stupidity and talking to my spirit, rudder lock. Because that day I had been given a lock on that vertical tail to keep it from swinging with thunderstorms and heavy gusts of wind and doing damage to it to keep it stabilized. It wasn't on my checklist and I missed it. And in that brief moment, the Spirit of God touched me and said, rudder lock. And I got a word of knowledge. I, it wasn't something I get every second or every day. It was the Holy Spirit protecting me or giving me information I didn't have and needed. He can do that for you. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever felt an intuition like, I don't know, I just felt to call you, Gladys. Yeah. And then Gladys is sobbing and she's had this horrible day and something's bad's happened with one of the kids and you didn't even know. God just used you, the Spirit of God, and motivated you to do something. Yeah. I've had the Holy Spirit speak to me and say, I want you to give this. I want you to give up this. I want you to give someone this. I, occasionally. It's not every day, but it's occasionally. It's called the dancing hand of God. The Spirit of God will touch you and if you'll listen to him, it gets a little easier to hear him and be prompted by him. And usually when he speaks to you, you don't want to do it. <laughs> I, never had, I never said, well, gee, that's great. Thank you for that. Okay. No, it's always a challenge, you know. But when it, you, the reward is when you realize God used you to do something that was, that was amazing. Sometimes praying for somebody who may be ill. Well, everybody I pray for doesn't get well. Some people die. Maybe you don't want me to pray for you. But some people get well. And sometimes it's instant. Sometimes it's progressive. You keep praying. Sometimes you have to pray for several years. We have families in here praying over children with certain disabilities and watching some slow progress. Wish it was fast, but it's working. Trusting the Holy Spirit will work through health and healing to bring it. It's a power that I don't have. It's a power beyond the doctor who says, I don't know. It was there, but it's not now. Must be a miracle. I don't know. That's the Spirit of God, see? And so God saved my life and my family uh, 40 seconds from death by speaking to me. The, there were times when I would counsel somebody. I, I love this because charismatics don't think the Spirit of God can do anything but make you speak in tongues or get healed. But I'm thinking, you say, well, if that guy doesn't speak in tongues, then he couldn't have the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit can speak to a dumb, dead jackass and make him talk to a prophet. And he did. Balaam's donkey. God made him talk to the prophet. Now, he was still a donkey. <laughs> Sometimes God will speak through a donkey. But don't forget, you're still a donkey. It was the Lord. It was the Lord. Okay. So the invitation Paul makes to the church in Corinth is not be spiritual. Every human being is spiritual. But that's not often recognized. It's either you're being run, led and run by your human spirit or you're allowing the Holy Spirit to control the thoughts or give you wisdom. Have you ever had the Holy Spirit feel that intuition like, don't sign that contract, don't make this deal, don't go into that partnership, don't, don't make that investment? That's the Holy Spirit. He is our guide. He's called the Spirit of Wisdom, right? Some of you need to start having a conversation with the Holy Spirit. He, he, the Holy Spirit is the, uh, what do you call it? the trustee of the last will and testament of Jesus Christ and what he purchased on the cross. He's the administrator. He's my defense attorney against the accuser of the brethren, Satan. He's, and, and it's like some people have this, this weird idea about the Holy If you pray and, and talk to the Holy Spirit, Jesus isn't mad. The Father's not mad. They're one. 
The Holy Spirit's God. Talk to him. He's your best friend. He's the key to wisdom, to health and healing, to deliverance. He's the one that does that. I can't do that. He's the one that gives you wisdom. In a, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God. And he's, it's called the spirit of wisdom, right? This week, talk to the Holy Spirit. Ask him to help you. You may need healing. You may, I, I pray every day like that. I wouldn't care if I owned a, 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 I was CEO of a Fortune 500 business or I had a zillion billion dollar business. I would run through that same procedure every day of my life. Every day, Cindy does it. We've been doing that for years. The power of life and death is in the tongue, and we know it's the Holy Spirit that allows favor to come, deliverance to come, gifts to work. Every human being has an invisible side to them. You've got a will, and that's at the absolute core of your spirit. You have thoughts. You form intentions, and nobody's ever seen one of those. Now we have brains that work alongside of those. That's part of what it means to be embodied. But you're more than a body. You're a spiritual being in a body. And to neglect your spirit and the well-being of your spirit is the worst tragedy of all. It's infinitely worse than having something bad happen to your body. All of us have some awareness of this. That's why we say things like, well, I'm spiritual or I want to be spiritual. But we often don't even know what we mean by that. Very smart people have thought it through at a deep level. And the invitation Paul makes to Corinth, where people were sitting in their rich Corinthian leather chariots, and that he makes now to you and me in San Antonio, is you surrender your will, you surrender your spirit, and be empowered by the Spirit of God. Talk to him in the morning before you start your day, and ask him to control your thoughts and what you're going to do in direction. He'll give you wisdom and guidance. So uh, these prayers are so rich that Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. You think about this being prayed for you. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he might strengthen you with power through his Holy Spirit in your inner being or man so that Christ can dwell in your hearts through faith. That's reality. Then I'm not running on my own power or my own wisdom or my own intellect. See, to try to live the life God has commanded us without receiving the power to do it from the Holy Spirit is pure frustration. And some people, a lot of church people, experience that for too many years. How do I live this life? How do I forgive my enemy? How to do good to them that abuse me? How do I, how do I, how do I? Well, you can't do it in your own flesh. The Holy Spirit will allow you to do it, to be reconciled. You can't live this life on your own. You live it by the power of God's Spirit. Read the Gospels. For three years, Jesus' disciples tried to do what Jesus said, and it didn't go so well. They, 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 they had some real goof-ups, all right? Then he's crucified, resurrected from the dead. And even then, he says to them, not yet, boys, not yet. Don't leave Jerusalem. Just wait. And they did. Then on the day of Pentecost, something happened. And here's how it gets described. Notice the language. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven. All of them were filled with God's Holy Spirit. And everybody said, what's that noise? It was a sound like the blowing of a wind. It wasn't wind, but it, it was like that. It was power. And then what looked like tongues of fire descended on them. And it wasn't fire, not exactly. It was like fire. What was it? It was power. Remember, they had never, been in, had never encountered this before. It's common today, but it wasn't common then. 
It was personal power, the power of God, the power of the Spirit of God. That's why they received. See, the power to pray, they were changed. The power to love people they didn't like before. The power to witness, the power to give, the power to include, the power to embrace other people in a way Jesus did, but human beings can't seem to get it right. The power to serve, to stop worrying about their ego and their agenda. The power to care for the poor in a way that changed the world. The power to resist temptation. The power to build the church. Except the Lord build the church, you labor in vain to try to build it. Unless the Lord guards the church, the guard, the security team watches in vain. See, the church got started with no money. The power to live like nobody lived in that world. The power to die with joy and hope all came from God's spirit. The Holy Spirit gives you courage and confidence even to face death without fear and terror. But now it's your turn. Your turn, my turn. But you shall receive power. See, where do you need power this morning? I'll give you a few indicators of the Spirit of God in your life. When the Spirit comes into your life, not just when you're born again, but He's there, but He can come upon you in, in many wonderful ways. He unleashes in you and I gifts of the Spirit. They're all different. They're, nobody gets the same of everything. It, God chooses, but he gives you gifts. They're gifts. You don't earn them. They're not merit badges. They're gifts. And it gives you special abilities that in the natural can't be done. And the Bible talks about these spiritual gifts, these abilities, names them. That's not our message today, but I want you to know you can look in the New Testament and look at all of them. The plan for the church is that the church be organized according to spiritual gifts and be shepherded by people who have the spiritual gift of shepherding, to be taught by people who have the gift of teaching. You, we have people who pray. We have people in hospitality. You find the Spirit is at work in you to do stuff you couldn't do on your own. People with the spiritual gift of administration, the spiritual gift of encouragement. Boy, that's a free gift Everybody ought to have a letter, a phone call, a bear hug, encouragement. Be generous, extravagant with encouragement because people need it today. That's why there's never been anything like the church on earth ever. When you discover and use your spiritual gifts, these spiritual abilities, some of it is healing, others discerning of spirits. See, God gives you uh, in order to serve Jesus and his body. You find that not only does the body, the church, get built up, but your faith gets built up. Then cultivate the fruit of the Spirit. There are gifts of the Spirit, special abilities. And then the fruit of the Spirit are character qualities. When the Spirit's operating in your life, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Boy, do we need that. Patience, I need that on 281-1604. Oh, I know you don't, but I, I do patience with the children with a husband or a wife patience patience uh, gentleness why are we so angry you watch too much news stop being angry don't get all bent out of shape everything's going on I can hold an opinion I can hold the truth and yet not be somebody you don't even want to get near right I, I'm cool I'm cool this is a church of, of inclusion I want you here. I want Jesus for everybody. And only the Holy Spirit can temper you, change you, and transform you. Only he can do that. I can't. I never got changed because of an argument, ever. If Cindy tries to argue with me, I'm not going to lose. And you won't either. Come on. Yeah, you can argue on Facebook, social media. You didn't change anybody. You just made yourself meaner. Right? But if I become nice 
and become your friend, you let your guard down and I can kind of talk to you. I'm careful, I'm, I'm gentle, but I can talk to you. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, not an enemy, a friend. So before you start throwing the criticism around, be a friend first. Somebody knows you love me unconditionally, warts and all, and I'm more apt to receive what you have to say, okay? Okay, self-control. You pray and ask God to grow that up in you and watch for it this week. Then you experience the indwelling of the Holy Spirit when you ask Jesus to be your Savior. You unleash the gifts of the Spirit. You cultivate the fruit of the Spirit. And then you experience, you look for, you pay attention to, you invite the indwelling of the Spirit with, at, at any moment, all the time. Paul writes to the church at Corinth these words. Don't you know you guys are temples of the Holy Spirit? Your body's the temple of the Holy Spirit? Who's in you? Whom you have received from God? And then he said, I pray that out of his glorious riches he might strengthen you with power through his spirit and your inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts. A friend of mine was trying to explain that one time to his little daughter. By the spirit, Jesus can dwell in your heart. And she said, Daddy, I know, I know. Jesus lives in my heart because when I put my hand over it, I can feel him walking around in there. <laughs> that's, that's not bad theology, okay? He is in you. This is real. But it's not physical, it's spiritual. See, when you surrender to the Holy Spirit, when you humble yourself to the Spirit, when you pray in the Spirit, you find a new aliveness being given to you. You'll have a greater sense of God's presence coming into your life. You will have more guidance coming from God, beginning to replace frustration and confusion. This can grow over time. When the Spirit comes, if you don't listen, if you don't respond to Him, you tend to get more deadened and insensitive to His voice. But every time you say, yes, and every time you respond to his promptings, you get a little bit more sensitive to him. You'll trust God more. You'll worry about yourself less. You will be given greater love for other people. You will wake up in the morning with a little less worry. You'll go to sleep at night with a little more peace. You will receive power. For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit summitsa.com.